great singing. You may be seated, and we want to welcome our other uh, campuses uh, joining us for our time in the Word right now. And so we got a lot to cover. So why don't you guys bow with me and let's pray. God, it's been great <clears throat> to worship you this morning and to uh, lift our voices to you and to have this theme that we're focusing on, this idea of your glory. As we're going to see today, Father, the reality of your glory. And so God, um, I pray that as we open up your word right now and look at a, a bunch of different places, that God, you might help us to string it together in such a way that it truly does glorify you and draw us to yourself and allow us to find our deepest joy and our satisfaction in you. We want to ask and answer the question, God, what are you up to? And so God, may you uh, speak now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And we all say together, amen. So I need to begin today by letting you guys know I've had a week focusing an awful lot on the smaller story, uh, the smaller story. Uh, for instance, the election has been on my mind this week. I've gotten emails and phone calls from many in our church with honest concerns and, and issues. Uh, the debate this week obviously caught our attention, the ongoing partisan divide in our country. And, and it just seems that you can't have any conversation with anybody without the upcoming election coming up uh, in conversation. Smaller story stuff. And then the house that I live in right now here in town needs attention. I bought a house a few years ago that had an old roof and aging windows and needs paint. And so we're finally addressing that and we're dealing with service providers and contractors. Pretty normal stuff, I guess, but smaller story stuff. And then I've been focused on all this COVID stuff going on. Lots of fears out there, rightly so. And the continual ebb and flow of how we open up our church but do so safely has garnered a lot of my attention. Smaller story stuff. And then the Browns lost to Pittsburgh last weekend. Did you notice that? Oh my gosh. I mean, they were doing so well. It's such a common story. They start off okay and then, uh, you know, and so that has my attention. And I could go on and on. Lots of smaller story stuff this week that grabbed the too much of my attention. Uh, my wife's job, my dad's health, the stock market, the car that needs repaired, the new puppy we're still trying to train, even lots of administrative things going on here at our church. I had a week focusing an awful lot on smaller story stuff. And some of you might be thinking right now, well, this sounds like a pretty regular thing, Jamie. I mean, we all deal with this stuff. And why do you keep calling it smaller story? What's that about? What other story is there? And that's a great question. And here's the answer, and it's what we're gonna focus on today, gang, and that is the larger story. I'm gonna ask you to make a distinction today, and we'll explain it in just a second, between the smaller story that many of us get consumed with, including me, week in and week out, but then there's a larger story also being told that, that God is deeply involved in as well. As mentioned earlier, we're in a series here at our church called The Questions God Answers. And as we get to the second question today, what is God up to? In other words, what is he truly about in our lives? What's his agenda on planet Earth? What you need to know is that there's a very clear answer that the Bible gives us. And it all centers around this distinction between the smaller story of our lives and the larger story that God is currently writing and wants us to be a central part of as well. So let me explain that distinction before we move on. 
And to do so, I'm going to utilize the whiteboard again today because we're all visual and we like to see things. We tend to relate to things we can see. And so on the whiteboard here, I'm going to first just give us a, a quick visual of what we've called the smaller story. Because the smaller story is your life. We all have a smaller story that begins with your birth and someday, I hope not soon, will end with your death. That's what we're going to call the smaller story because it's what the Bible refers to as a smaller story. It's a good story. It's your story. It's a wonderful story. But it's the story from birth to death, and it's a story that the Bible affirms. The Bible says it this way in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. It says, for you, meaning God, formed my inward parts. You wove me together in my mother's womb. That's where your story began at birth. I will give thanks to you, God, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, God, saw my unformed substance. Now here it is. And in your book, God's book, were written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. So there's a story being told here. It's the story of your life that began at your birth. It's going to end someday with your death. Hate to pop your bubble, but the Bible also says this. Give me another slide here. It says that just as people are destined to die, all of us are going to die someday. And the Bible makes it clear that we're caught up in this, this smaller story. And the reason that we call it a smaller story, and this is really important, is because compared to what I'm going to show you in a minute, the larger story that God is writing, our birth to death story is quite brief and fast. This is actually all over the, the Bible. It's in the book of Job. It's, it's in the Psalms, as you'll see, and, and other parts of the Bible. And I like how the psalmist put it here. The psalmist says, the life of mortals, that's you and me, is like grass, any of you planting winter grass right now? Again, smaller story stuff. So the, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. So that's how the Bible describes our lives. It's a smaller story indeed from birth to death. And the vast majority of people approach their smaller story this way. Now this is really important before I move on to the larger story. The vast majority of people have one motto and one only while they write their smaller story and it's this. And that is that they want to maximize blessings and they want to minimize pain. Tell me if that's not true. It's the way the vast majority of Americans, and I've been all over the world, everybody wants this and approaches their smaller story this way. Maximize the good life and do everything we can to not have a bad life, blessings and pain. And again, even Christians are really into this. Christians take this motto, we baptize it, we drag God into it, we say, God, give me the good life. Bless me here, bless me there, get my 401k going good, make sure my kids turn out semi-good, and we ask God for all of these things, and then we say, oh my God, keep my health going, and don't let me get into financial ruin, and we, we, we want to avoid pain. It's not bad. But it's the smaller story of our lives from birth to death, maximizing blessings, minimizing pain. And so far, all is good, especially if you can succeed at maximizing blessings and minimizing pain. And here's where the trap comes in. 
is that we tend to think, even many Christians tend to think, that this is all there is to God's plan. That if we ask the question, what is he up to? We would honestly say to those around us, well, he's up to blessing us and he's up to making sure I got the good life. In fact, I just bought a good life bumper sticker and it's on the back of my car. And, and you see, that's God and that's what God does in my life. And, and he makes sure nothing really bad happens. He kind of watches over me that way. And we think that that's the story that God is writing. While simultaneously, there's a larger story. Likewise being written, a story that God is most concerned with, and it's a story that in some ways is vastly different than the smaller story that we're writing for ourselves. Well, let me explain this to you. If I had to communicate the, the larger story on our, our whiteboard here, uh, the first thing I would do is I would draw a really, really, really big circle here that would, sim or, that would show that there's a, a lot more going on in the whole scheme of things than just our birth and our death. And this is God's larger story that he is writing here because God is transcendent over all of it. Now watch this. And it's a larger story that the Bible says that actually had a beginning. It began at creation when God created this world. Genesis 1 verse 1, the very beginning of the Bible, we all know it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what you simply need to know is that that's the start of this larger story that God is, is writing that, as we'll see in a minute, can become a huge part of our smaller story. But here's a lot of people don't realize as well. This story also has an end. We're going to write it this way, way over here. The Bible says that not only is God about uh, creation, but there's eventually going to be a consummation. I don't mean that in a sexual sense, like consummating a marriage, but how Webster's Dictionary says a final end, a conclusion to it all. There's going to be a consummation uh, someday in the future in which this story, God's, God's larger story, is finally and completely written. It's actually found in the very last chapter, as you can imagine, of the Bible. In Revelation 22, as it's right, as John is writing about ushering all of humanity into the eternal state, so now there's no more earth, there's no more universe, it's all been destroyed, there's a new heavens and a new earth, and some are going to the bad place because they didn't know Jesus, and others are going for eternity into God's eternal state with him. Look at how it describes it. This is beautiful language. It says, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb, which is Jesus, will be in the city, the new city, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth. And his servants, that's you and me, who know Jesus, will serve him. They will see his face, whoa, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Imagine that. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Wow. It's the larger story begun at creation that someday will come to consummation when God ushers us into the eternal state. And what you need to know is that this is the story, now this is really important, that is currently being written as you and I get all consumed with our smaller story. 
And if the smaller story is about maximizing blessings and minimizing pain, you need to know there's an agenda for this larger story. It's very different than the agenda we bring into the smaller story. Here is the agenda of the larger story. It has all to do with God's glory. It has to do with God's glory. It's all over the Bible. We sang about it earlier. We're going to use this word glory probably 20 times in the next 33 minutes and 41 seconds that we have left together. And, and, and so Isaiah 6.3 is a good place to start. Isaiah, the great prophet, has got a vision of God while he's in the temple. And, and this vision that he has shows God in his holy throne. And there's the cherubim and the seraphim surrounding God. And, and they're praising God. And these are the words that they say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his, say this word with me, glory. Fascinating. The whole earth is full of God's glory. Could that be the larger story that he's trying to tell? The psalmist would affirm this. The psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your, here it is again, glory above the, the, the heavens. And so I told you guys this a few years ago, this idea of God's glory, because Christians tend to be confused by this. It's not complicated. God's glory is anything that ever shines forth from him. The Hebrews had it right. They said, they called it the Shekinah glory. It's the shining forth of God. And so I, and think about it. Anytime anything shines forth from God, who is all perfection, who is all good, it's labeled his glory. And the reason God made this earth, the reason he made us, was to display and show his glory, his goodness, his greatness in and through you and me in this world uh, to everything, to, to the entire universe. That's why God made this world, uh, to show his glory. And he wants you and me to join him in the pursuit of of this glory. I'm going to say this a lot over the time we have remaining. He wants us to get our sights just off the smaller story and get onto the larger story that he's been telling from creation to consummation that has all to do with his glory. Because you see, it's here where the smaller story has the opportunity to intersect with the larger story. That's God's agenda for you. Look at how Isaiah the prophet would again say it in Isaiah 43, verse 7. I'm telling you, this is all over the Bible when you look close. God is speaking and he says, everyone who is called by my name, that's you and me, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So, so again, God made you and me not to be consumed with the smaller story of blessings and minimizing pain, but for a larger story that centers around and, get, and gets our lives captured up in his glory. And what you need to know is that Christians of old have always known this. The great Westminster Confession of Faith, which is basically a Q&A of some of the core doctrines of our faith, begins like this. It says, what is the chief end of mankind? And then it gives the answer. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love how John Piper changed one word in that 30 years ago when he wrote his book, Desiring God. He said, no, no, no. The chief end of mankind is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. <laughs> in other words, you and I, Piper argues, finds our, find our greatest joy not in blessings and the minimizing of pain, but in the glory of God. And to be sure, here's what you need, guys need to understand. God's goal for you, what is he up to? He's trying to get you to, to, to pry your hands off of just the smaller story and get you focused on the larger story. 
When you read the, the scriptures with an open mind, you start to see this all over the place, this idea of larger story, smaller story. Look at Ephesians 1, which is a beautiful description of our, our salvation. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Pause right there. I love how Christians think. They read that and they go, oh, isn't that nice? He chose me before the foundation of the world. <laughs> think about it. He chose you, Howard, before the foundation of the world. So Howard doesn't just have a small story. It's not just about Howard being born and Howard dying someday. And in that nice, we'll give him a nice funeral and, and say, boy, I miss Howard. All that's good and fine. No, what my Bible says is that before the foundation of the world, so go over to here now, way during creation, when God made this world, he said, I'm thinking of Howard. <laughs> And I love that guy. He's getting a lot of trouble in his life, but I'm going to save him. And I love him, and I'm setting him aside. So do you see, if Howard only focuses on the smaller story, he misses the larger story that God wants him to be caught up in, that we're going to see in a minute has massive relevance in our lives. Let's read on. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Why? That we'd be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Now here it is. To the praise of the, say the word with me again, glory, so there it is again, of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, which is Jesus. In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins or trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. It's the larger story being described here in the midst of our smaller story. And notice here, this is really important. I know I'm throwing a lot at you, but we're going to put this all together in a minute. You don't enter into the larger story, or you at least don't know about the larger story, until you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? That's why it says here very clearly, in him we have redemption through his blood. See, until you understand that you're a sinner in need of grace, until you understand that Jesus came to bring you home to God, and that he came to forgive you of your sins, and as John says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Until you receive Jesus, you don't even know there's a larger story. You have inklings in your heart that there might be, but you're clueless. But conversely, once you accept Jesus, and I'm going to give you guys a chance to here, for those of you who haven't, in just a few minutes when we wrap up, once you accept Jesus, you're now ushered into this larger story, and you start to get blown away that God had you in mind here, and he's taken you way over to here. Just get your sights off of this, because this matters, but it's just a small part of something bigger. Because you see, even the rest of your life now that you're saved is all about the larger story and his glory. Look at how it says it in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10, 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all, here it is again, to the glory of God. So once saved, we're now to be enamored with God's glory and this larger story. So again, let's just be really clear. The mantra of people mired in the smaller story, sadly speaking, even many Christians, is I want to maximize blessings and minimize pain. If you've been paying attention, here's the, 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 the mantra or the worldview of the larger story, and that is that we want to maximize God's glory and minimize self. <laughs> and that's where it's at odds with the smaller story. Jesus, your Savior, said it so clearly. I want to 
everybody quotes this passage, I just don't know if they know what they're quoting. Uh, Jesus once said that if anyone would come after me, he needs to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And, and so that's larger story, smaller story stuff. God's hope for you is that you would embrace his larger story and, and, and set aside this, this obsession you have with all the smaller story stuff. So are you starting to see, let's, let's add it all up because we're going to move on here in just a minute. Uh, life is not just about birth and death. That's just smaller story stuff. It is important. God cares about it to be sure, but nevertheless, smaller story. There's a larger story being written by God himself that goes way beyond any blessing he might give you or any pain you might avoid. It's about his glory and his goodness for our good. And notice that it's a story that's being written in the midst of our smaller story. In the visual here, I could have taken the smaller story and put it over here and said, you just got two different stories, choose one. But that's not right. No, it's your smaller story. And here's what God hopes, because he doesn't want you to abandon your smaller story. It's your story. He would like you to subsume, to subject your smaller story into his larger story. What is God up to? Man, he wants you to join his program. He wants you to embrace his narrative for life. And here's the cool thing. We all have a choice. Even if you are a Christian here today or dialing in here today, you have a choice. We all do. Is the focus of your life, as it is for so many Christians, going to be a smaller story where all you do is get obsessed with having the good life and a blessing here and a blessing here and let's avoid this and not do this. Is that going to be the sum of your life? Or is it going to be the larger story where you write your smaller story in light of the larger story that God is telling that's all about his glory and his goodness and your involvement in that? You know, I got to confess, much of what I'm teaching you today Obviously, I didn't make up. <laughs> it's from the Bible, but even the categories of understanding we're using, this idea of story, I, I, I've stolen from my friend Larry Crabb. And when Larry teaches on this smaller story, larger story stuff, he, he always uses an illustration I'm going to use right now that just grabbed me 20 years ago when I heard him first use it. He, 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 puts, he puts it this way. He says that the average Christian today, the average Christian, not the average person, but just Christians, needs to undergo a spiritual Copernican revolution. A spiritual Copernican revolution. And some of you go, what's that? Well, you, you know what it is because it's from the history books and you were taught this in eighth grade. In eighth grade, you were taught that there were two worldviews uh, floating around in the early 1500s. It's best symbolized by, by these pictures here. I just got this off of Wikipedia, so this is nothing, you know, uh, fantastic. It's just that it's a great way of, of exploring this. And before 1500, uh, the, the major worldview was that the earth was the center of everything. The earth is represented by this blue dot. And that the sun, represented by this yellow dot, revolved around the earth. And that all the planets, represented by this red dot, here Mars, also revolves around the earth. So the prevailing worldview, they call this the Ptolemaic worldview, the Ptolemaic model, because it was made by Ptolemy back in the Greek age, argued that the earth is the center of everything. And for thousands of years, it's what everybody believed, even most people who read the Bible, because they said, hey, we're made just a little lower than the angels, so of course we're the center of everything, and everything revolves around the earth. 
And you got to kind of laugh at this. History is funny. Along uh, comes Copernicus in 1500, and, and he says, I don't think that's exactly right. <laughs> he says, I, I don't think that we understand it right. From my calculations, Copernicus said it seems like the sun is the center of the universe. He called it a heliocentric model, and that the earth revolves around the sun. And he said, I hate to pop your bubble, but the earth is one of just a few planets, and all of the planets revolve around this sun, and that this is the way it is. And as you can imagine, the religious leaders of Copernicus's day said, thank you for setting us straight. We never knew that. No, they didn't say that. They said, you're wrong. We're the center of everything. It all revolves around us. And Copernicus said, no, I don't think that's right. And so for decades, they argued about this. And then along came Galileo, a good Catholic man. And Galileo said, you know, I think Copernicus is right. And they kicked him out of the church and said, no, you're wrong. And eventually came Isaac Newton. And Newton's the one who finally cemented this. Newton said, you know what? Remember the apple you know, dropping to the ground? He said, I can't explain gravitation if the earth is a fixed point and everything's revolving around it. It makes no sense. Gravitation only makes sense if the earth is revolving around the sun and everything's revolving around the sun. And finally they took note. And here's the point. Larry Crabb and many others argue that the same thing is going on today among Christians and that the average Christian needs to undergo a spiritual Copernican revolution where they realize, isn't this just rich, that they're not the center of it all. That it's all not revolving around them and their small story. Other way around, there's a son and his name is Jesus and it's all revolving around him and his glory. That it was a good place for an amen. Let's take another run at that. It's all revolving around him and his glory. And, and that's the revolution that many of us need to undergo in our lives. That God's larger story takes priority and it must absorb or at least involve our smaller story. We need to experience a Copernican revolution of our souls where we maximize his glory and minimize self. And it's funny, after the first service day, somebody texted me and said, man, that was really good, it was really clear, thank you for sharing that. And I laughed, I laughed because I thought, man, it's so easy to teach this stuff, it's just really hard to live. One of the reasons I shared with you all earlier about my week, I actually had a good week, I mean, it was a spiritual week, the elders made some great decisions and all this, but as I analyze my week, and I do this every week, I go, I'm just so consumed with smaller story stuff, how about you? I mean, even between services, here I am preaching the word of God. You know what the first thing I did after the first service day? Went back to my office and I, and I checked the news because I wanted to know what happened in the last hour. You know, what's going on with everything going on around me? And I went to my two news sites and then I, and then I checked, you know, what games are on today and da, 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 And I just thought, you can't even preach a good sermon and let go of the smaller stuff. <laughs> and, and I've said this, you guys will laugh at this. I've said this for, for years. I don't mean this to be arrogant at all. You'll hear, hear why I mean this in a minute. But I, but I say quite often that if I struggle with it, the rest of you are goners. Amen. <laughs> And the reason is not because I'm more spiritual than you, I'm not. The reason is, is that I can't go anywhere without a reminder of who I am. I can't hide. I mean, I'm in Home Depot. Hey, pastor, how you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. I'm about smaller story stuff right now. I'm in Home Depot, you know, how, how are you? I'm in a restaurant. Hey, pastor, how you doing? I'm fine. I'm about smaller story stuff. I'm feeding my face. How are you? You know, everywhere I go, I'm reminded who I am. And I have constant reminders to, if you will, get with the program. <laughs> and stop being about smaller story stuff, be about larger story stuff, and yet I battle it every moment 
of every day. How about you? I really do. And yet here's what I want to encourage you with today. And this I do know after being a Christian for 40 years is that the battle is worth it. It's worth it to stay in the fight. And every day, gang, every day, try to get caught up in the larger story, not just your smaller story. Years ago, I was on the phone with my friend Larry, who's been such an influence on my life, and, and, and I was in kind of a troubled place, just working through a lot of things in my mind, and I said to him, okay, just give me a, give me a good one-sentence definition of sanctification. What does God want from us? How do we grow? And he didn't even pause. I was on the phone. He just said, okay, here it is. He said, sanctification is a God-obsessed life, a God-obsessed life that learns to fight the battle well. Oh, I like that. A God-obsessed life that learns to fight the battle well. You know why I like that? Because it's freeing. He didn't say, man, you better get with the program and stay with the program every day and you better become better and better and better and not fail until you become Mother Teresa. He didn't say that. He just said, man, get enamored with the glory of God. Get out of the smaller story to the larger story and just fight like crazy to stay there. You see, when I heard that, I thought, I can do that. <laughs> it's not easy, but I, I can do that. I'm good at fighting. I can fight the battle well. And so in that vein, I want to wrap up today. We've got just about 15 minutes left. I want to share with you three things that will encourage you that happen when you dare to merge your smaller story with God's larger story. When you allow the larger story to capture your focus more than the smaller story. Three things that will happen to your life. Promise. Here's the first thing. And that is that the larger story puts your problems in perspective. It puts your problems, it truly does, it puts your problems. In fact, I would say it even stronger than that. The larger story ensures that you won't be overwhelmed by your problems. I told you guys this when I was going through, you know, when COVID started six months ago, I, I like a lot of us, you know, everything shut down and I was able to spend a lot more time reading and, and praying and, and just spending time alone with God, like almost every day on campus here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and one of the books I latched on to is one of my favorite books in the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians reason I love 2 Corinthians, I don't mind admitting this, I'm a wimp, is that it just makes me feel good about my life. Paul the Apostle is such a mess in this book, and I mean, his life's just falling apart. I feel like, well, my problems aren't that big. Because the backdrop to 2 Corinthians is that Paul the Apostle's, Apostle has lost his job. He was fired from being a Pharisee. He was one of the elite religious leaders. And as soon as he said, I believe in Jesus, they said, you're out. And they lost all of his financial provision because they were paying him and he lost that. So he had to go into tent making, literally making tents in order to survive. And he didn't have much money. And then he got abandoned by much of, many of his friends. They all just said, see ya. And they left him. And then he started to get to know Christians. Even many Christians kind of betrayed him. And then he got physically assaulted on multiple occasions. And then he got persecuted for his faith just about everywhere he went. And then his reputation was completely tarnished. So again, I don't mean to belittle any of your problems, but you know, I just know my life. It doesn't even match up to all that kind of mess. And so I kind of like reading the book because in the book, he starts off like this. In the first eight verses, he says, we not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Some of you are there right now. I've only been here a couple times in my life. Thank God it wasn't very often that I, I quite frankly said, I just despair of life. I don't even want to live. Happened once back in seminary and one time since then. It was a very difficult season I went through. But Paul the Apostle's there right now. And you say, why? Well, four chapters later, he answers it. He says this. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. <laughs> 
I love how Christians think. I, years ago, somebody, you know, we were reading this passage of Bible study, and some guy said, well, I guess he's doing kind of good. I go, what makes you think that? He goes, well, he's kind of holding his own. I go, I don't think that's what he's trying to say. I think he's trying to say we're afflicted, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down. But he is starting to set up a transition he's going to make in six verses from this point. You ready for this? Because all the first, you know, four chapters, he's not yet. All in the first four chapters, he is, uh, he, he's talking about, <laughs> thank you. All in the first four chapters, he, he, he's talking about the smaller story stuff, the difficulty of life and the, and the pain and all this. He, he once had a blessed life, now it's turned, and he's now ready to transition to larger story. And let's look what happens when he does. Now, thank you, go on to the next slide. In, in chapter four, verses 15 to 18, he says, and I've been telling this all along, to the glory of God. I, I, it all begins with his glory. If you don't look to his glory, then you're, you're gonna miss the larger story. So he says, to the glory of God, then what does he say? So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, we're getting beat up every day. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he says this, I've been a Christian 40 years, I never tire of this phrase. For this light, momentary affliction. Pause right there. What affliction is he talking about? His messed up life, his ruined reputation, his financial loss, his job loss, the abandonment by friends, physically assaulted by others, persecuted to no end. He's calling all of that this light momentary affliction. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you called your worst problems light momentary afflictions? I don't hear Christians talk like that. Larger story people do. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of, say it with me, glory beyond all comparison as we look not to things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal woe. Here's my simple point. It just, you can clap at that. It just sounds to me like he might be latching on to a larger story here. What he's basically saying is for me, as long as I focus on birth to death, it's chapter one and early chapter four. I'm just gonna talk about all these problems I have because life can be very difficult. But once I turn my, my sights to the larger story, to the glory of God, and I'm gonna show you how this works, he, he says all of a sudden my problems are in perspective. Why? <laughs> Because he realizes, remember Ephesians 1, that he has been chosen since the foundation of the world. And that God has reserved for him a place in eternity and the consummation of all time where he will reign. And he says, when I consider God's larger story, the stuff that I'm going through right now, light and momentary afflictions. And see, this is why I say we need to undergo a Copernican revolution of our own because most Christians say don't think like this. Like me, I get it. We're all too caught up in our smaller story. And when yet when you desire to get caught up in the larger story, it starts to put things into perspective. And it doesn't take away your problems. It just changes the way you see them. I, I told you the story before. I don't have time to tell you the whole thing today, but this January will be the two-year anniversary of Tom Schrader's passing. Tom was a dear friend of our church and a pastor down in the East Valley. And uh, Tom, as many of us know, passed away two years ago, and uh, we, we did his funeral here. It was huge. It was a packed, packed house. And, and, you know, Tom struggled the last nine years of his life. He was only 69 when he died. He was not an old guy. He looked it, but he was an old guy. 
And he looked it because six years before he died, he got diagnosed with lupus. That was right on the coattails of his wife dying of cancer in, in her late 50s. And then Tom got lupus, which is a terrible disease. He couldn't even hold a golf club after about a year of being diagnosed. He, he, he just was so weak and tired. And then on top of that, he had heart problems, almost certainly tied to the lupus. And, and then he got cancer. So again, that's a bummer. He got cancer and the cancer metastasized and that's what eventually killed him. And in the last two years of Tom's life, I went to visit him every week at his home. And I used to tease him because I'd, I'd leave him and then I'd come back a week later and he's still sitting in the same chair. And I said, did you move? And he'd say, not really, <laughs> because it hurt to move. And during that time, Tom rarely ever complained. He really didn't want to talk about you know, lupus and medication and all the things he was going through. He wanted to talk about God and his glory and the things that awaited him. He didn't want to die, but he wanted to talk about the things that mattered most. When he died, I got the call 24 hours earlier. His wife, Sandy, second wife, called me and said, you might want to get down here. I think it's going to be soon. Came down, typical Schrader fashion. He was on his bed and he was uh, covered with his uh, Iowa Hawkeyes blanket. Smaller story stuff to be sure, but he, he loved the Iowa Hawkeyes. And uh, he was in and out of consciousness, as many people are as they approach death. And uh, Sandy said, Jamie's here. And he tried to sit up because I think he wanted to have a conversation. And I said, just, just lay back down. And, and I didn't know what to say, but I knew he'd respond to this. I said, Tom, I said, the time is coming soon. And, and there now awaits for you. This is the Bible, by the way. Now awaits for you a crown of righteousness. And not just for you, but for anyone that longs for his coming. And I said, he is going to receive you back home. And you're going to get that well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm going to see you again someday. <laughs> Typical straighter, he looked at me and said, you think? <laughs> Those were his last words to me, you think? And I was like, yes, I think. And, uh, and, and I know Tom did too. And he was ushered into eternity. I, none of us can predict how we're going to go out. But if I go out, I hope I go out like that. I hope I go out covered in a Cleveland Browns blanket, mind you. <laughs> and whatever my time is, focused on the larger story because for Tom, in the last nine years of his life, and it wasn't an easy life, he was focused on the larger story. It put everything into perspective. Because you see, this leads us to the second thing that focusing on the larger story does. It puts your focus on what matters most. It truly does. Some of you say, well, what matters most? You know the answer to that. Spirituality, relationality, eternity. Those are the things that matter most. 1 Corinthians 10 or 13, 13 says that once we grab onto the larger story, it says, but now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. So, so faith is what you have left with the larger story. That's your spirituality. Hope is what you have left. That's the hope of eternity. And then love, which is the relationality that you have for everybody around you. Those are the things. Those are the, the narrative points. They're the paragraph breaks of the larger story that God is writing. And, and, and when you and I dare to get caught up into the larger story, the things that matter most start to get our attention so the larger story puts our problems in perspective. It focuses us on what matters most. And then finally, the grandest result of them all, and guys, this is a game changer, is that the larger story draws you closer to God. The larger story draws you closer to God. You know, there's not just a physical pandemic going on in our world today. We all know there's a, a spiritual pandemic going on. And that is that the average Christian today, the average Christian does not feel close to God. 
I hear it all the time. I hear people when they finally get honest say, Jamie, I go to church, I'm in small group, I read the Bible, I, I, I tithe, I do all the things that I'm told to do, and, and, and I still feel far away from God. In fact, I, I, I'm so enamored with that idea because I'm a pastor and I love you guys. I actually just wrote a book on it that'll come out in a few months uh, called When God Feels Far Away because I just hear it so often. And maybe this will help for some of you who, who believe in Jesus and love God but feel very far from him. But look at the hope that Jesus gave us if we would focus on, and again, I keep telling you this, his glory. He, he's praying to the Father here in his high priestly prayer and he's praying for us. He's now in the point of prayer, he's praying for future believers, and he says, the glory which you, Father, have given me, I have given to them. So we have accessed his glory, that they may be one, just as we are one. Now here it is, I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. So Jesus says that when we get enamored with his glory, when we get lifted to higher or to larger story stuff, what happens is, is that this reality of him living in us begins to be experienced by us. Not all the time. We claim it by faith, but you start to get glimpses of what it means for Jesus to be your eternal brother, your eternal friend, for God the Father to be your eternal sovereign Father, for the Holy Spirit to be the one who illumines your mind and empowers your life as we looked at last week. In other words, you draw closer to God if you get out of the smaller story and into the larger story. So as we wrap up right now, I just have two questions I wanna leave you with. And one of them we're gonna answer right now in our prayer. The first question is, have you entered into the larger story that God is writing through faith and belief in Jesus? I told you we were gonna do this. There's some of you here today who are salivating after what we're talking about here today. Man, you wanna go from smaller story to larger story, but you don't know how. I'm gonna help you do that right now as we wrap up in prayer because you need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior to even have any understanding of the larger story God is writing. John put it this way, to all who believed in him, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's what we're gonna help you do in just a minute here. And then the second question I have is for the rest of us, and it's the all-important question, probably the most important question I've ever asked you, is the larger story God is writing the primary narrative of your life? We've already seen that it's possible to be a Christian and just be consumed here and all the blessings and minimizing pain in, 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 in between. But God wants you to be consumed with the larger story, creation to consummation and his glory. So as the larger story that God is writing the primary narrative of your life, because it can be if you choose it to be. He's writing a story with or without you. It's a book and your name wants to be written in it. And it's all about his glory and his good. And our joy is found there. Why don't you guys bow with me and let's pray. Our gracious, merciful, heavenly father, I thank you that you have given us this narrative that we can latch on to. A narrative, Lord, that is about the work that you're doing from creation to consummation and everything in between. And Lord, here in the 21st century in, in Scottsdale, Arizona, and in the midst of a pandemic, we are also a part of a story. It's our smaller story that each of us tends to be very consumed with. 
And so, Lord, my prayer today is that we would go under, undergo a revolution of our souls and that, God, we might start to make a choice to lift our sights, to, to, to start to honor the broader narrative being written by you and align our lives there. Lord, for some of us, we need a starting place. And as we've seen, the starting place is Jesus, your son. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody here that's ready to receive Jesus, that they might pray this prayer right now along with me. Oh, God, thank you that you love me, that you created me, and that you long for me to be in relationship with you and a part of the larger story. I realize I'm a sinner in need of tremendous grace. I need no convincing of that. But I realize that Jesus is the one that you gave to shed his blood for my sin and be the one to bring me to you. I receive him now as Lord and as Savior of my life. And Father, I pray for anybody that has prayed along with that prayer that they might know that in this moment they have transitioned from, from death to life, from having no hope to having hope eternal, from darkness to light, and that you now, Lord, are theirs and they are yours. And God, encourage them that the larger story is now being written for them as well. God, for the rest of us, may we be true and bold men and women of grace, men and women who, who embrace this narrative that you're writing and align our lives with it. There's gonna be a tremendous pull, God, starting even this afternoon <laughs> when we pull out of this parking lot, Father, to just be about smaller story stuff. Protect us from that. Enamor us, draw us with your glory, I pray, and we will follow suit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. amen.